A few months ago, the Daily Mail got itself in trouble when it published on its front page a picture of Theresa May and Nicola Sturgeon wearing the almost standard professional women's look, knee-length dresses and high heels, displaying in both cases finely turned ankles. Forget about Brexit, who won Legsit? asked the headline. For many people, it showed that despite our pretense of choice in a liberal democracy, what women wear is relentlessly judged. Their job is to find that line between sexual attractiveness and modesty that first and foremost must satisfy the male gaze. In studio this morning, Barbara Scully is a writer and broadcaster, Tom McEnany is a media consultant, and Eve Watson is a psychoanalyst. Um, Tom, I think I'll start with you on the Legsit photograph. And I have to admit, I think I'm guilty of a thought crime because when I saw the photo I burst out laughing I just thought it was really witty and really funny possibly because it was so subversive but um, I laughed was I wrong? It depends on which Daily Mail front page you you saw. If you saw the second Daily Mail front page where they deliberately tried to make it funny and humorous and isn't this ironic, well then perhaps that's perfectly... Sarah, whether or not you laugh at anyone at any time is always perfectly acceptable. But let's say it's more acceptable if you saw the second page. If you saw the first one where they were looking at two world two world leaders and uh, Nicholas Sturgeon is world leader mm-hmm. um, talking about um, uh, matters of great import for the world and yet were focusing not on what they were saying or what they were doing but just in terms of their legs well then I think many people would have had a different reaction Um, and I think many people would have had I think uh, people had perfectly just and reasonable cause to take offence at um, uh, well any woman being reduced to a pair of legs but particularly two world leaders to being to uh, being reduced to a pair of legs oh. which is not to say mm-hmm. that there's anything wrong with admiring Theresa May's legs or Nicola Sturgeon's legs okay nothing wrong with that at all 200,000 years of evolution as a heterosexual male 200,000 years of evolution require me to admire their legs the, matter, the, the question is context and in the case in this case um, in context the Daily Mail got it wrong Well, Eve Watson, if I go to you on it. So if we have this primal um, urge to admire parts of the body of the opposite sex, and if um, women do wear stylish, slim-fitting, you know, above-knee length dresses and nice high heels in a professional context, why is it so wrong to name it when in our head that's exactly what's going on? We are admiring the legs. Why aren't we allowed to say so? Well, because I think it's complicated. And it, you know, we have to be very careful, I think, about simplifying these things too much. Uh, Tom put it very well, context is important. But I suppose it's about the motivation of of the look itself. Where precisely the look is coming from? Is it coming from a position of power? Or is it coming from a position of subjugation? Or is is what's being revealed, is it revealing something that maybe we don't want to know about? I mean, it's very easy to think of the male gaze in terms of the sexual politics that's involved in that it subjectifies women and it objectif- it doesn't subjectify women. It, it, it delimits them to being an object. It objectifies them or reduces them to being a part like a leg. Um, but it's complicated then when we think about women themselves being um, uh, interested in the fact that they are objects of desire and, uh, and, and, and that is something that pleases them. And they, it complicates that rather simple way of looking at it. It's not that simple. Yes, yeah, so on that... You know, if I'm getting dressed and I know I'm going to be in, in pleasant company in that, I am going to dress nicely and I am going to wear 
um, clothes that I think men will find attractive because I want to be attractive to the opposite sex. Why wouldn't I be? Yes, because you, and you choose to do so. It's a different story when this is imposed and this is deployed. And these things are often the male gaze. We know this from our work is deployed often in very covert or insidious ways. We don't even recognize that it's at work. And when with the, I suppose, the first uh, Daily Mail page, to call it that, you know, this is exposed. The male gaze in all of its glory, reducing these two very successful and important politicians to two sets of legs. And that's that that is not okay. That is not okay. Because, you know, it it, it, it it we can no longer pretend and I think this is this is what happens, is that we we don't see often how much this type of looking is occurring. But Barbara Scully, <clears throat> is it a case that we know that type of looking is occurring? Women know it. Um they often like it, they often seek it out, men enjoy it, and everything is fine, but we're just not allowed say so. We're not allowed to say that everything is fine. No, we're not allowed name. So if I wear the the short skirt Mm -hmm. and I enjoy the fact that my legs are being looked at and I want them to be looked at, do I then have the right to get offended if someone says, well, gosh, you've got very nice legs in that skirt today. Well, again, it comes back to what he's saying about context, you know, and I think that um, if you're out socially, perhaps, you know, and you're going, look at my legs and somebody goes, yeah, you do have great legs. I think that's fine. But it comes back to the the whole thing of the the context. And these two women were very powerful. And I do think it's interesting. The other thing that he said that's very important is the fact that women are, I think, often reduced, as you said, to the sum of their parts in a way that, for example, the Canadian Prime Minister, uh, Trudeau, Justin, Trudeau. Justin Trudeau, is a very attractive, uh, young, um, handsome, sexy guy. But nobody reduces him and takes him apart bit by bit and says he's a nice ass and he's nice thighs and he's got, you know, he's just seen as, you know, OK, we mark it off that he's an attractive guy. And the other part of the same um, um, breaking down of women and judging women by their appearance happens to, for example, Hillary Clinton or Angela Merkel, who again are very powerful, very uh, successful women, but have been unmercifully criticised by the way they look, which has absolutely got nothing at all to do with what well, they're doing. Right, and that's a really good example, actually, a good parallel, because what Clinton and Merkel are both famous for is the pantsuit. Yeah. They don't wear the skirts, they wear the trousers. Which is awful. And they obviously don't wear the skirts because they their their legs wouldn't stand up to the same type of scrutiny, perhaps, and even feel bad about saying this, yeah. Um, yeah. that, that uh, um, um, the, uh, Sturgeon and, and uh, May did. Um, and that, that is something that women are conscious so of. So does that mean you can't win? That if you desexualize yourself, it means you're criticised. It means we've got centuries and centuries of women being uh, objectified. That it's very, and I think that women ourselves have bought into that an awful lot. And I think it's something that goes much more sharply into focus as a woman as you get older, when clearly you're not going to be as attractive. And aging, you know, uh, kicks in, and you get softer around the edges. And you know, I think then if you have always, I become um, identified with how you look or if that becomes what defines you you're going to hit into serious trouble as you get older Um, so I I, and I mean you know as a mother of girls it's one of the things I'm constantly 
fighting against is, you know, it's not just, I mean, that was, that's, that, that example from the Daily Mail is, you know, is a particular standout. But if you look at how women are portrayed in media, particularly in advertising, and if you look back a little bit, I was reading about this the other day, you know, if you look back to say the 50s, 60s, even the 70s, when women were predominantly uh, portrayed in advertising media in particular as being homemakers and, you know, they were pictured, you know, doing the, the domestic duties at home and being very happy and, you know, the, the man came home and the woman was in, was, was at home in her domestic domestic bliss. And then I think there was a brief period, maybe in the 80s, certainly when I left school, of the power dressing woman, because women were now getting into the workplace, you know, and were taking uh, a role. Uh, the shoulder out, pads. Out, yeah. out of the home. So there was the big shoulder pads and there was the power dressing suits and all the rest of it. And now we seem to have, to my mind, come back to women being portrayed in a highly sexualized way, um, which I think is very difficult. Right, but Tom, when you got dressed and you were coming in here this morning, <laughs> you know, what look are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to say to other people? Are you conscious of a female gaze? I Yes, of course. Um, my wife tells me it's perfectly uh, she likes the idea that other women might find me attractive I think that's her way of making sure that I keep the belly at least reasonably in and make some effort when it comes to comes to my clothing I made a special effort this morning I'd run out of razors and normally when I'd come in it's not the first time I've been in the studio normally I wouldn't worry about it coming in studio but I was conscious that we were talking about how people look and so I made a point of going around to the spa and getting a razor and making sure I shave properly We so appreciate yes, your effort I'm yeah. conscious As Eve said it's complicated but if we if we try to simplify it if we try to break it down a little bit the um, it's from 200,000 years it's perfectly acceptable for me to be concerned or interested in how other people see me yeah. as, a, as a person as a sexual uh, as a sexual being um, that's perfectly reasonable just it's perfectly reasonable for a woman to take an interest in how a man or indeed other women might see her the um, uh, there's also then it's of course um, uh, hundreds of years, thousands of years of patriarchy and sexism overlaid on top of that make it more complicated and that's something we should fight against. But even if you had a fairy godmother or indeed a fairy godfather coming down with a wand in the morning and doing away with sexism, doing away with it, there you go, it's gone, isn't this? And now we're in a wonderful world. We would still have a sexual objectification because when it comes to um, uh, body parts. It's not just about sexual politics. It's also about sexual psychology. It's the fact that we 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 have hang-ups about our about sex. Uh, it's 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 one of the the core human drivers, and therefore it's only reasonable and natural. That's one of the things that we have the greatest number of hang-ups about, and not just about female bodily parts. I remember um, uh, back in the eighties, um, I did the 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 very first time the Rape Crisis Centre. Did, which does a course, a regular course on sex and sexuality. I did the very first course in which men were allowed in. At the time, I was the only man in the country giving out abortion information publicly. And if that doesn't establish my feminist credentials here there, here and now, I give up. But as a result, I did the course and uh, we, it was looking at breaking down. It was all about breaking down sexual conditioning so that if you're in a counselling situation, you won't bring in your own stuff to bear. And I remember the most interesting, the most dramatic response we got during that course uh, was when um, uh, all of the, the participants, men and women, were shown pictures of penises. Now, should that be peni? I can never quite I think remember. It's penises. Penises, okay. So, penises, different yeah. penises, gemescent penises, happy penises, sad penises, whatever <laughs> you like yourself. And then we were asked to respond, and the responses from the men and the women were generally negative. Everybody okay. went like, Ugh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, or that's aggressive, or that's threatening, or, okay. you know what I mean, or ugly. Ugly. I think my own response was ugly. 
Um, and then we talked about it and we talked through it. And of course, it's only one more bodily part. And then once we'd done that, it was like magic. It was like we were shown the same penises again. And all of a sudden, people found them to be universally um, uh, beautiful. It was a conditioned response to a sexual part that's covered up. And that gets mystified specifically because it's covered up. I remember a line in, is, was it Memoirs of a Geisha? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, the, the one line that sticks out from that was when a trainee Geisha was being dressed up and she wore the sleeves of her, oh please somebody help me here with the, 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 the clothing, that I, the kimono, yes. Um, um, wore them a little bit too short and she was castigated very severely with the line, what? Do you want men to be looking up your sleeves all evening? Right. That which we covered up and which is associated with, with sex and sexuality um, is, 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 is that which causes the greatest intrigue and therefore where we're most likely to have the greatest number of hang-ups. I suspect Eve has a lot there she wants to respond to. And before she does, though, I want to um, draw your attention to a cartoon that I'd given you um, earlier. <clears throat> it was on Broadsheet, the online journal, a little while back. And the headline in it is, it looks like ID check, but the joke is that it's the id check. So a guy in dark glasses is saying to a little creature, um, I'm going to need to see your id. So the uh, person responds, and I'm changing language here a little bit because this is broadcasting. I just want to have sex with someone. And then the guy says, good, and now you're super ego, although I suppose I should wait until marriage. So the point is, you know, (laughs) Eve, like this is who we are. (laughs) It is all about these primal sexual urges. And we are all running around trying to cover them up and not name them and pretend it's not happening. And then it seems to me that people get into terrible trouble then whenever they break those social taboos and they do name it and they do say, we are sexual beings. We do mm-hmm. want to be attractive to one another. Why is that wrong to, to, to say it? Well, it, it isn't wrong. We can, I think all, all of us here on this panel would say that that's not wrong. Uh, maybe I'll try and continue my quest to put a few things side by side Great. in parallel and, and continue our quest not to simplify things too much. We do have Freud to thank for telling us uh, that we are all uh, uh, subject to voyeuristic and exhibitionistic tendencies. We are. We enjoy looking and we enjoy being looked at. Um, and this is deep-seated and it's characteristic of all of us. So, um, and he also went on to talk about this other aspect of looking, of course, which is fetishism. And so, and this brings into play the question of uh, desire, human desire. And uh, one of, if we're going to think about this business of looking and being looked at, um, and we have, uh, we have, okay, uh, we have uh, on the one hand, I'm going to need a few hands here, but on the one hand, (laughs) we have the notion of the male gaze which is uh, something that uh, uh, objectifies women and reduces them in a fetishized way to a, a, a body or, or a body part, etc. Then there's the complicated factor of desire, which we, we were just talking about, which is that sometimes what, is de- what we desire is to be desired. <laughs> and that means showing ourselves in a way that we know the other person finds us to be desirable. And and recognizing the body part, maybe that the other person that we like finds desirable in us. So the, let's put that side by side with this complicated business of of the male gaze. Um, and then what interests me then are, I suppose, you know, because we do live in a world where it is it is a world in which in which masculinity is in the ascendancy. 
that is you know, feminists would describe that as patriarchy. So, so we have a predominance of the male gaze. There is, of course, also the female gaze, which we've also touched on, and 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 uh, Tom uh, has has mentioned. Um, uh, so, I'm going to put that a, a third element uh, uh, in parallel with the other two, and then a fourth element that occurs to me is, and this particularly interests me, are the points in which the maybe the seamless and insidious way that the male gaze operates. Um, is interrupted um, and is uh, is uh, uh, revealed, I suppose. Um, and um, uh, 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 I, I, I'm thinking particularly, um, and this brings me into the area of you know, one of the ways in which women embody desire and in, embody masculine desire is in hyper-feminine ways uh, um, uh, through what we, what in psychoanalysis we describe as the as the, the feminine masquerade. Which embodies the whole field of dress and makeup, but also so a way of the high heels. Yes, yes, the, the whole, pushed up boobs. The whole, yeah. the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, uh, but there are interesting ways in which some women have managed to use that masquerade and stare back at us culturally in ways that really make us uncomfortable. And I'm thinking of the amazing work of the photographer Diane Arbus or Jermaine Kroll, or particularly the work, the self-portraiture of Cindy Sherman. And her work, where she literally hyper feminizes herself in so many of her photographs, but overdoes it. So you and 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 draws the the, the viewer who recognizes their voyeurism in looking uh, into her photographs of of herself in these hyper feminine ways, but something is off about the picture. So she includes in the picture too much makeup; it's put on improperly, or there's some there's a rotting apple in the background, or something like that. So it disturbs the fantasy of perfectible femininity, hmm. and it's it's uncomfortable. Her work is really uncomfortable. Well, speaking of uncomfortable, Barbara, you know what I have noticed? Oh, sorry. Where are we going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you looked very comfortable, Going. Barbara. I just want to say. No, no, no. I'm sure listeners think no. I'm on the floor or something now at this stage with my discomfort. I was hoping to put a challenging, uncomfortable okay, point to you. I was on. not making a personal reference. Um, you know, you were making the point earlier that, you know, in the 80s, there was that power dressing look and yeah. that things have actually regressed and we're supposed to be even more feminine now. But it's actually worse than that. The porn face, oh. you know, is the standard makeup looked for young women now. And, you know, I look at them and I think, do they know what they're emulating here? Do they know what they're doing? And it's I, become, pres- But I presume they actually do know. I don't know. I mean... Like, how can they not know? Well, I think... I think when you're talking about young teenage girls, they don't they don't really fully understand where they're going. I mean, you only have to drive past Wes any night, you know, when there's um, a first or a second year disco on. And you have all these young, um, gorgeous young girls going in. And I know this is an awful thing to say, but I mean, they dress, they're dressed like streetwalkers. Yes. They think they look fabulous. And I mean, the boys that they're going in to hang out with all look, 13, like the age they are. And the girls all go in looking like these kind of... But are they being actually far more self-aware and honest about what's going on in their heads than we give them credit for? So what yeah, possibly. Going, so uh, they are, they do want to be sexually attractive to the boys. The problem, I think, is with the fact that, and, and again, not coming from an academic background, I'm trying to work this out in my yeah. head. But the problem is, I think, that there is still a power imbalance when it comes to women and men, that women seem to have to step up to some kind of mark that men don't. 
And I don't know whether it's the fact that actually, you know, as you talked about the patriarchy and, and men in the ascendancy, that part of a man's attractiveness very often can be his power, his his actual power mm. in the world. The fact that he is, you know, a successful, uh, powerful person that women can find very attractive. We don't tend to look at men and want to see them. Well, maybe there's something wrong with me, but want to see them naked in the same way that I think that women feel that they have to uh, uh, to be right. in order but to given, be but attract- gi- attractive. Right, but given all that we know <clears throat> mm. and we've had the different waves of feminism, why has there not been progress for that generation then? Why? I think we've gone backwards yeah, but why? In this particular aspect. Um, and I th- Because I think that we have this um, media that is all embracing, that is surrounding us all the time. So the messages that we get from that are much more insidious. They're with us all the time. And again, I'm thinking of, again, the, 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 the position that young girls are in and getting these messages from music videos, from the music they listen to, from advertising, from magazines, from online, from all the social media sites and, that they use. And coupled with that, they also now have the possibility of trying to attain physical perfection in a way that we didn't when we were leaving school. So in other words, when I was leaving school or when I was a teenager, if I had a big nose or I had, you know, something, I couldn't get that changed. That was it. That was what nature gave you. And, you know, you had to make the most of it and off you went. Whereas now, I mean, you know, my eldest daughter is now 30 and I know when she was younger, a couple of her, two of her friends have had cosmetic procedures done when they were around about 21. Um, So there is this whole kind of, over focus on how we look as women, which I think is very um, well. At at the best, it's distracting, but at the worst, it's actually quite damaging mm, and costs an awful lot of money too. It. Men don't have it, and they don't feel that pressure. We're talking about the male gaze this morning, and um, you know, if you're a woman and if you're dressing up and you're going out and you want to be attractive to the opposite sex, do you get to complain then when you get objectified, having actually attempted to be objectified? That's our talking point in studio with me. Tom McAnini is a media consultant. Barbara Scully is a writer and broadcaster. And Eve Watson is a psychoanalyst. Um, actually, one quick point I would make it there is before the break, Barbara was talking about how women are under this huge pressure to, you know, be perfect. Tom, I think it's fair to say I see that now in my sons, that that pressure is actually coming upon men too. They're not escaping from it. And a lot of this is actually driven I think by consumerism and capitalism, uh, you know, exploiting these sexual urges as opposed to patriarchy. Yeah, I'm with you most of the way there. Okay. But as soon as you put it down to consumerism and capitalism, that's when that's when I, that's when we diverged a bit, you know. Why? But look at all the money that's spent oh yeah, on no, this. absolutely. Listen, it's yeah. absolutely the case that there are loads of um, advertisers and loads of big big companies there who are using the fact that we like to look attractive in order to make money and therefore subverting the way in which we feel about ourselves and the way in which we feel about other people. That's absolutely the case. But behind that, okay, behind that, and I keep coming back to the 200,000 years of evolution, behind that, I like looking well. It's just that over the last couple of decades, I mean, if you think about it, 50 years ago, Irish men weren't that great when it came to looking well. It's just that over the last while... You don't have to go back that far. Yeah, you don't have to go that far. <laughs> you know, but because of globalisation, because of because of me, Media, not just the the, the 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 big evil presence of the media, but just because of the media, we get to see what other people look like. We get to watch fashion shows, and 
Adsari, and also immigration. I remember yeah. you remarking positively of the influence of Eastern European women oh, yeah. and, on and, Irish women's standards. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, standards, uh, it, it, I'm not sure if I use that term, but OK, I'll, 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 I'll own that. I do believe that there are two great influences over the last, shall we say, 10 years. One is Irish, young Irish men and Irish women coming back from Australia, where there's a much greater focus on being fit, coming back and influencing and having an influence on other young Irish men and women. And therefore, I think younger uh, uh, people today, and I hate the idea that I've just said younger people, because I wake up in the morning and think that I'm one of those younger people, and then look in the mirror and realise I've actually aged. But younger people today are more inclined to go to the gym and to work out. But also it's true that over a short period, all, um, all sex is about competition. I, I believe all sex is about competition. The evolution you need is all about competition. It's not just about I want to be attractive. It's I want I want to be more attractive than the other person, and therefore she's uh, uh, going to allow me to 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 uh, help her make babies. You know, it's not just it's we're not just in and of ourselves. We're in a fiercely competitive field. The um, so that when you had an influx of. Um, men and women, mostly young men and women, because that's what immigrants tend to be, you know, who are, come from a culture where it's perfectly normal to be going to a gym and to be fit. Um, it affected, <coughs> I think, the dynamic so that um, now I notice this in terms of um, uh, women because I'm predisposed to notice women more so than men. That's just the way it is. The, um, more so than other men. More so than other men. You know, I'm not saying I don't notice a good looking other man, but I don't react in the same way. You oh, know? yeah. OK. The, um, so I, I believe I may be wrong. There's no scientific studies on it, but I do believe that it affected the, the, the competitive dynamic when you had a huge influx, influx of very slim women who paid a particular type of attention to their physique and how they how they looked. Okay, and that was a good thing in your Oh, absolutely it was <laughs> yeah. a good thing. Absolutely. Just as I'm sure it was a good it's a good thing that Irish men have learned how to use deodorant and have a shower in the morning. Uh, anything that makes the opposite sex in general um think more in terms of their grooming or their sexual attractiveness, I think has to be a good thing. So Eve, I want to ask you about choice. Because in a Western liberal democracy, this is often framed as choice. Well, women can choose how to dress. So I was uh, getting out of my car to come in here and do the show. And I had got my loafers on for driving. And I would brought my heels just in case. And I was going to walk from the car to the office in the loafers. And I just thought, no, I better put on my heels. You know, I'm going in. I want to look smart. You know, otherwise people might judge me for giving up and wearing flat shoes. And um, so I can say I had a choice. Mm-hmm. But how much of a choice did I really have if I'm fearing judgment, often from other women, in fact, most often from mm-hmm. other women rather mm-hmm. than other men? And, you know, if that choice is framed in a very strict kind of context at one end in what's supposed to be a free society, and then you've got burqas on the other end, mm. you know, and, and people say, oh, well, in a Western society, women should be allowed to choose to wear a burqa. Who really has a choice in any of this stuff? Aren't we all just been culturally prescribed this is how you must look if you don't want to be judged as god forbid a sexless woman well that's true i think you know this business of freedom is uh, is you know when we open it up and lift the lid on that a small bit it's uh, uh, things are not uh, are not so so clear or so free <laughs> as the case uh, may be um 
And certainly that is a spectrum from that sense of I, you know, I don't want to walk into my workplace and I did the same thing this morning. I'm coming here to a, a radio station and I still put on a nice jacket as if anybody could see me. Yeah. Um, we all do this well, in, we can. in different ways. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we like it. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad I made a good choice. Yeah. Um, We're not judging you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. I, I don't feel a bit judged. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, but but uh, while we are judging you, the shoes yeah. are particularly good. Yeah. Yeah. Are they? They are. They are. No Yes, yes. Let's go to our fetish <laughs> objects one by one. <laughs> yes. Thomas nails. Hey, we're all allowed fetishes. It's fine, you know. Well, I am the one wearing them. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we have the the burqa the burqa wearer. Um, uh, uh, so um, this is. Uh, and that is a vast spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly the, the 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 work of 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 cultural and sexual politics varies from from culture to culture. We know this. Um, I suppose one of the things I was thinking about, Tom, as you were speaking there, is that you're right in a way that we live in a world where people are much more health conscious and aware of 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 looking well and being living healthier lives and and. Uh, 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 and and we live in a world, I think, and most people would probably say, where we're much more image focused than before. At the same time, I knew we have, you said in a way there was something else coming. We have an epidemic of obesity in this oh, country. Yeah. Mm. We have this mm. as well, which you could say is a, is a different answer to the cultural imperatives on how to be. That's one way of what thinking do you mean about by that. Well. Um, um, uh, you know, taking oneself out of that competition pool, that sexual competition pool, that's one way of thinking about the person who is overweight and who, because that is one of the things yeah. that will occur, that it will be difficult to date and it will have an impact on existing relationships if, if a lot of weight is gained often, uh, reduces sexual uh, uh, activity and yeah. uh, these kinds of things we know about. So, so I, I suggest to you that obesity is, is, is a different kind of answer to the problem of such a superficial focus. That our sexuality is, it's a whole plethora of things. It's acts, it's thoughts, it's fantasies, it's actions. To limit it to something superficial on the body is to reduce something so significant in human experience to uh, to outrageously delimit it to, to the and, body. And I want to come to Barbara and all of that, but just I want to go back to you briefly on uh, the porn face, you know, this heavily made mm. up look. Mm. Um, are we in one sense being a bit um, snobbish about that when maybe slightly older, more mature women, professional women, um, particularly at higher levels in corporations, have learned how to perfect a look that is just as sexual, but just more refined? So they know how to wear the slim-fitting block-colour dress and the Kate Middleton uh, nude-style heels and the hair beautifully blow-dried and the makeup done just nicely, not too much. So it's still very sexual and with the sexual intent, it's just done better. Well, yes, and and isn't that ultimately what we aim for? We aim for a world in which a a woman expressing a sense of her sexuality Mm. is okay. That it's okay to do that and still 
do whatever she wants to do, whether mm-hmm. it be her work or her walking down the street or or her her, her interactions uh, with with uh, with mm-hmm. the various people in her life. So is isn't that what we want? That that you know this is this is the kind of balance I suppose we're looking for, where uh, you know where the expression of a sexual self on the mm-hmm. part of a woman is not something that's immediately open to. Uh, criticism that we accept that this is part and parcel of what it is to be a woman is also to be a, a sexual being. But within pretty narrow parameters of what we deem isn't too slutty. Yeah, Barbara. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I'm interested in that. Yeah. And I'm interested in if we say that then that is the freedom of choice, that if it is a woman's choice to, to wear the heavily made up, as you call it, the porn face, mm. that's 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 absolutely acceptable. But I'm interested then why it's not really acceptable in a sexual way to be uh, fat. You know, that you said that if you're fat, well, then you're ruling yourself out of the kind of sexual game and, you know, you're not going to be as sexually attractive. I have to speak up for the fatties and say, I think that's baloney. Um, I think there's lots of very attractive uh, women in particular um, who would be deemed as obese or overweight and I'm sure have very healthy sex lives. Louise McSharry um, of 2FM wrote a very interesting piece um, for, I can't remember, was it the journal? Um, about how she got married about two years ago. She would be deemed as obese um, and uh, she's a beautiful young woman and she said she didn't slim for her wedding day. Mm. And the reason she didn't is that she was confident enough in her own self and in her own attractiveness not mm. to not to want would to there be become a line, somebody though? else. Would there be a line though between say maybe being overweight and maybe obese? But you know? the obese line is very, I think I'm obese. Actually, I think yeah, the baseline you know is very, uh, you know, it's uh, mental. It's, it's, it's. You do, you're only fat for a small time. Do you know you someone obese very quickly? Yeah, someone has done, I think, research on that. That actually, that bar is technically way too low. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But look, I want to get on to the burqa with you, Barbara, because we've talked about this before. On the one hand, but I think I only need two hands for this one. <laughs> I really understand how liberating it would be to do as Eve suggested and actually just opt out from the whole thing. Like if I'm walking down Grafton Street in Dublin, I feel so self-conscious. I feel the gaze of men, women, whoever it is. See, I don't get that at all. all right. I don't get that at all. I, and, and maybe, and I, I'm, I'm assuming it must be something to do. I don't know. What, I mean, I've never worn high shoes ever in my life. I don't yeah. own a pair of high shoes. I've never, ever worn a pair of high shoes. Uh, and a part of that originally was because I didn't need to add any extra. So height. when you're, are, so are you not conscious, say, of the judgment, no. even off your peers? Of, of like, Possibly. Would, would your girlfriends even say to you, "Oh, that's really nice," or "Ugh"? No, they, gen- they ge- actually generally. Well, they might say that's very nice, but they generally wouldn't say anything negative. Uh, now I have teenage daughters, and I will admit that home before I got dressed, I was wearing something different. <laughs> until my eighteen-year-old said to me, "Mom, white leggings should only be worn by ten-year-olds." <laughs> I had them under a dress, and I was. Near in tears. I went, what? And she said, 10-year-olds wear white leggings. You should not be wearing white leggings. Um, and so, yeah, I did. So, I mean, I'm not saying that I could, yeah. you know, that, that I could go around. Well, to- could you understand maybe how some women might feel that actually to wear a veil oh, is yeah. a way of freeing yourself. But you see, that. that's the freedom. And I was, I was, I'm trying to write about this at the moment. I think that's the freedom. The other baloney that we hear as women of a certain age is that once you get kind of beyond 50 you become invisible because you're no longer sexually attractive I think it was that beautiful English actress wrote about it originally I can't remember her name um, and saying how she now feels that she is invisible because she's no longer obviously sexually attractive to men and, and I mean clearly she's beautiful 
but if but so I I think that's a, you know I don't believe that necessarily is the case, but I think if it is, that's you know there's a great freedom in that. So I fully understand the freedom of the burqa, so that you're completely without. But I would if there was any gift I wanted to give my girls, it's the gift of feeling you're good enough the way you are. So that if you get up in the morning and you decide you're, you're you know you're going to leave your hair like a bird's nest, I think you should be clean and you shouldn't smell. But I think if you don't want to put on any makeup and if you want to go wherever you want. As long as you're not dirty, that's absolutely fine with me. Um, And I wish that women didn't constantly beat them up. And I think the other thing that happens with women, and we are fed this again um, all the time, is that we're never good enough. You never get to being actually good enough. Um, You will never hear a woman saying, I am totally fine with how I am. But yeah, you'll hear women like Carla Delevingne, absolutely beautiful, crippled with depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. low self esteem. We're never good yeah. enough, and I mean, I have to go back to the fact that I know it seems like a you know cliche to say media, 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 yeah. but I think we have been fed you know from business and from from advertising mm. that that nonsense that we are never good enough. And I mean, I you know the, the whole thing about fighting aging mm. is is one of those things that I just get so mad about, and and. You, you know, you see intelligent women spending a fortune on lotions and potions that I'm sorry, I don't believe work at all. Um, and you think if every if all women suddenly were happy with themselves and said, you know what, I'm good enough the way I am and that's fine. Loads of people would lose their jobs. They certainly would. We're talking about the male gaze and the female gaze too this morning. And in studio with me, Barbara Scully, Tom McAnini and Eve Watson. Um, Tom McAnini, before the break there, we're talking about the burqa. And I was saying, look, I can understand how liberating it might be just to step out of this whole dynamic, you know, of being looked at um, and perhaps wanting to be looked at and the pressure and the anxiety that it all causes. But I find myself ending up supporting burqa bans. Because I don't believe that certainly in a Western society, uh, women who are wearing burqas are really doing it out of choice. That it really just is enabling a deeply retrograde, regressive treatment of women. And with a burqa, they cannot interact in society in any kind of normal way. And it's harmful. I knew there'd be a point where we'd come to blows. Hooray! But before I explain to you why you're absolutely and completely wrong, can I just say I'm not fat. I'm just short for my weight. Right. I just wanted to get that out there. Okay. And other, and just in passing, because it was um, um, when oh. it comes to the media, I know I put the media to one side and talked about evolution, but of course the media has a huge role. One of the ways in which it has a huge role is in this, and essential to the objectification um, uh, uh, debate, because you can't represent things like confidence on the pages of a magazine. And it doesn't sell, it doesn't, um, um, well, actually, now that I think about it, it does sell perfumes, mm. but in a subtle way. But when men, some men, some of whom of my acquaintance, you know who you are if you're listening, um, get around uh, together over a point, uh, a point, oftentimes the conversation comes down to, are you a tits or ass person? Um, and uh, um, um, is it about cleavage or, or form? Whereas in actual fact, what I think many men don't consciously realise is they're, what they're actually attracted to is nothing about whether a woman is slim or fat, but it's about confidence. <coughs> 
you walk mm. into a bar, the woman who's attractive is the woman who's, who's confident. It could be just the way she stands. It could be the way she's laughing at somebody else's joke. It could be something, it's usually something subtle and it's usually something that you're only recognising at an unconscious level. But anyway, I just wanted to get that aside. No, that's on a really the, good point. On, mm. on, on, on why you're absolutely wrong when it comes to bikini ban. I, you know, I... I was conflicted in this, Sarah. I thought about this um, when we um, uh, when you raised the point for the show, and I, I I I struggled with it somewhat. But you know what? The more I struggled with it, the simpler it became. It's about choice. Women should be free, and men should be free to wear whatever they damn well please. It doesn't matter what religious what religions say. It doesn't matter what governments say. It doesn't matter what um, you, as a commentator, or what advertisers say. We should all be free to wear whatever we we please, and we shouldn't be banned. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. You get the chance to come back, but wait a second. I think there's an absolute equivalence between wearing a burqa or wearing a niqab or wearing a hijab, and um, um, uh, wearing a, um, a top as a woman, um, covering yourself. Your breasts. Your breasts. So that in Ireland, for completely uh, uh, religious reasons, or reasons that are to do with the predominance of the uh, Christian religions in Ireland, it's still illegal for a woman to show her breasts. Not illegal for a man. I can (coughs) expose my nipple here and I'm not doing anything (gasps) wrong. You might not like it, but there you go. But it's not considered shocking. But but it's still illegal for a woman in Ireland to show her breasts. So that last year you had a woman being dragged by guards out of the knock and stocking concert because while all the men around her were taking off their their, their their tops, it being a very hot day, when she chose to do the same thing, it was considered um, uh, to be an affront to public decency. Now, there's absolutely no difference between that and um, uh, women who come from a different religious perspective, a different uh, religious background. Th- sorry, there's a big difference, hmm. but it's only one of degree. It's not one of principle. Um, who uh, uh, choosing to wear a, a, a burqa. Oftentimes, I think when it comes to the burqa or the niqab or the hijab, it's not about what women wear. It's about it's about a wider political politicisation, which often is racist and purely racist. In the case of France, for instance, okay, you had Hasidic Jews on the the beaches of France for decades. You know, totally covered up, and nobody had a problem with it whatsoever. All of a sudden, when you had somebody coming along, in a, uh, a Muslim woman coming along in a burkini, they, they came along and banned it and said, thou shalt not do that because that is wrong. And we shall tell you as a woman what you're allowed to wear and what you're not allowed to wear. And um, um, uh, never mind what religious perspective or political perspective you come from. Okay, so We shall not tell women what to wear. Okay, Sarah. I take the point on breasts. And as someone who has breastfed publicly, I've a lot of views on, you know, how breasts are you know viewed and, and it should be okay. But Eve Watson, on the issue of the burqa, is it not naive to suggest that women can wear this out of choice? We know what it is. We know it is religiously prescribed by, um, you know, a misogynistic version of Islam, not by any means throughout um, all of Islam. And the first thing that women do in those Middle Eastern countries when they manage to get rid of uh, the Taliban or ISIS or whatever they do is throw them away. That this is, you know, a bizarre corruption of the idea of choice to say that women actually want to go around dressed like this. Well, I think we have to be aware from the perspective in which we're speaking from, which is, um, and maybe I can speak only speak from my own perspective, yeah. which is as an Irish woman filled, broadly speaking, with Western um, 
philosophical and social ideals. Um, and uh, and we, when, when we make these kinds of statements, when we say these things, we're doing so from, from a, a very particular perspective uh, where uh, we can say we have a much greater sexual freedom here than is to be found elsewhere. Um, uh, the question as to whether the wearing of a burqa permits a woman to evade the kind of male gaze that we've been talking about on this panel, it's a question. And I would be very interested to hear from burqa-wearing women mm. who could speak to that. Uh, I'm very aware that uh, of my position and how difficult it is for me to comment specifically on that. I think you may very well be right, but I think it would be very interesting to hear from from uh, from from women, uh, burqa-wearing women themselves. Um, it, it, uh, certainly, we we can say that uh, that in in middle. Middle Eastern societies that have tended to modernize and that have modernized over the decades, the burqa does go and women do embrace that. So we can infer from that. But uh, I think we do need to to to, to speak to women uh, coming from 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 precisely. I Barbara. think that banning the burqa in a, in a society like this, as I, I agree with Tom, um, it's not going to change the patriarchal nature of any religion. It'll only affect the women um, who will probably then not be allowed out. Um, you know what I mean? It's not addressing. It's like taking the top off something where you actually need to address but I wonder, what the bigger I issue is. I wonder if we'd say that if it was Catholicism in this country, That's, saying women should still wear headscarves. But I mean, you, you know, if we can ban the burqa, are we going to ban old-fashioned nuns with the veils and the long dresses down to the floor wearing those out in society? If, if, we, do that, Eve, if we do that, we are saying that our way is the only way yeah. and that, you know, this is the problem with the notion of integration and emigrant integration. This is your very neoliberal idea, this idea of emigrant integration. But what we're really saying is that, you, well, you can come here as long as you're just like us. Yeah. What if we adopt a, a way of thinking that says, well, of course you can come here, um, but if we say things like, we, if we don't ban the burqa, we're saying you don't have to proscriptively follow our way of doing things. Okay, and I'll just give, oh, actually, Tom, could no, I put no, a no, final no. point? Okay. Just, just, okay. No, we, to, to wrap it up, I just want to put a final point. Go, go ahead. Go on. Go on. Go on. So, okay, look, we've talked about porn face, um, legsit, burkas. And what one thing is clear is that what women wear is still this extraordinary daily bone of contention and controversy and source of anxiety for women. Why do you think that as in this liberal Western democracy, this is what we're still talking about? Because it's not that liberal. Because it's only a couple of years since we unshackled ourselves from the Catholic Church and that influence is still... I know, it's Western. Still... It's not just Catholic. This is, this is in America. This is, oh, sorry. You know... uh, which, which is still shackled. Yes. But to, shall, shall we say then, to Christian Church. Okay, it was the case. Um, it's only in Victorian Protestantism and Catholic... <laughs> Uh, cultures that you get this hang up around the body and the body parts. I remember walking into a, uh, a sauna in um, uh, in Austria on a ski trip and uh, because it was run by an English company I was told sorry you have to wear clothes because I'd gone in not wearing clothes because in Austria you're not allowed to wear clothes into a sauna right. and uh, the woman said I'm sorry but you have to think of the children and uh, therefore but it's a hang up that's it's, it's an english hang up it's a, a, a england and its colonies shall we say okay. you know and it was the case that um 
uh, in the past you had to strap your breasts you had to bind the breasts mm. in those cultures we don't bind the breasts anymore but uh, except for some nuns who still bind the breasts although largely it's a practice that, that fell out of favour in the 1930s we still bind the nipple despite the fact that all of the research shows that uh, bras actually lead I was going to say, Tom, you've never worn a bra if you don't. I've never if you worn can a bra. sit there and say, we don't any longer bind the breasts. No, the first no, thing no, most know, women do when they get home I in the know. evening is take the, the, off their bras. Never mind their burkas. But, but take in off advance their bras. Of this, I asked a number of women in the last week, I said, why do women wear bras? And they said, well, it's for support. It's when it's, of course, it's not about support. Now, I'm conscious that I'm a man in, in the company of three women talking about bras, okay? So um, <laughs> if, I get, if I get burned at the stake after this, that's fine. I'll that's risk fine. it, okay? But the French research has shown the, the, the most significant piece of research in this was, was, was done by a Frenchman who, forgive me if you're listening, your name has gone out of my head, who um, uh, with hundreds of women over a 15 year period and he found that women who wear a bra and it's only in France that you could get a sufficiently large control sample of women who don't wear a bra over a 15 year period, <laughs> I would suggest, but he found that women who, who uh, wore a bra, their breasts, their nipple was 9 millimetres further down on average from women who didn't wear a bra, that instead of giving you support, it actually gives you um, uh, uh, much less support because all the muscles and everything go. <laughs> their muscle wasted. So it's about it's in the way in in the past where where it where it was necessary for women to bind the breast. Now it's necessary for women to bind the nipple. That it's okay for me the indent of my nipple to be shown uh, here, and nobody will pa- pass any comment on. But God forbid that but that the indent of 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 any other woman in Ireland should show through her clothing. And you know, in the seventies, it was. Per- Perfectly acceptable to go braless. Yeah. It was absolutely. I mean, now, you know, I mean, as I say, I do take off my bra. I take I mine went, off. I and, the, and then sometimes I forget. And, you know, I have to go to the shop and you're halfway there going, oh, crikey, Mikey, you know. Um, and the kids go, you can't go out looking like that. You know, you can see your nipples. And I'm going, you know, in the 70s, this was perfectly acceptable. Um, it, certainly when you were younger which just you proves hippie. how we seem to be regressing yeah, well, I think in we all are. of this I think we are okay Eve definitely final word why are we regressing in all of this well because I think in part there's a pushback against the freedoms that women have attained so yes. this is part of yes. the pushback against that yes, uh, the pendulum is swinging back yep. I yeah. think most most journalists, media folk, uh, cultural theorists, everybody would agree on yeah. this on this point. So I think uh, we have to be very aware of this. We have uh, the power now. It. We're getting more of the power politically, more of the power corporately. But the place where we still don't have the power is over how we look. And that's why I'm wearing this unbelievably uncomfortable bra today. Yeah. OK, we will leave it there. <laughs> Barbara Scully, Tom McNeely, Eve Sarah's Watson. uncomfortable bra. <laughs> You can take it off now, Sarah. I can't wait. <laughs> Aidan McKelvey research. Back on your flat shoes. And go out looking like a right trollop altogether. <laughs> Aidan McKelvey research. Stephen Jordan produced. Thank you for listening.